Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you, O God, for loving us, for being patient with us, being long-suffering with us. Because, Lord, though we think things might be bad now, they could be far worse. And we believe, Lord, that you're still there holding back the evilness that is in the hearts of men. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to work and you will continue to call people unto yourself. That you will continue, Lord, to deal with our behavior and change our thinking and and that, Lord, you would put that mind of Christ in us, that, Lord, that we would desire to, first of all, please you. And then we would have a honest care of our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray for those families because somebody may have lost a father, somebody may have lost a mother, there are those who have lost brothers and sisters. There are those, Lord, that is asking the question, where's this God at? Where's God? And, Lord, we are a troubled society. And, Lord, we need to see thee, O oh God. We need to see your hand move. We need to see your presence, O oh God. We need to know your comfort and we need to know your peace. And Father, I pray that you would minister to our country. Would you cause us to reflect back on certain values that we need once again to recapture? Would you help us, O oh God, to have a fear and a respect for your house? As the police say, there's no more respect for the church. For they're broken into like any other residence or place of business. There is no fear of God. But Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would once again remind us, O oh God, that every one of us will give an account to you. That nothing that is done on this side of heaven will not be recalled. Lord, would you minister to us? Would you give us a consciousness? Would you give us a new love? Would you give us a new reverence? Would you give us, Lord, a new fear of thee? That somehow, Lord, would restrain us from doing that, Lord, which is against one another and against you. And may you speak to us this morning. Help us to see the difference when the Holy Spirit 
takes charge of our life. Help us to see that we are still yet a people that Pentecost can fall upon. And that, Lord, we can be empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember those families. I imagine some of them this morning are crying, grieving, and hurting. How do you tell some children, dad's not coming home, or mom's not coming home, or how do you go to a parent's house and say, your children were shot while they were at the mall or this or that. None of us never really think of the seriousness of something until it happens to who? Until it happens to us. The young man that shot my brother, and he was shot over 13, 14 times in the back, And at that time, I thought Coy was old at 39 years old. The young man went to prison. 18 years later, he was let out of prison. And somebody shot him two years later. We do reap what we sow. But God has called you and I to a much higher standard. Not to live within the realm of the flesh. Not to live under the rules and the expectations of this world. But to walk on a higher plane. To walk on a higher plane. And sometimes for us that's difficult. Because we are trying to do it in our own flesh. We're trying to do it within our own mentality, our own thinking. And oftentimes our thinking keeps leading us back into the same mistakes. Back into the same problems. Back into the same situation. Unless you get a new vision, a new picture, a new view of things, nothing changes then. And that's Peter, and that's the apostles. That's the 120 in the upper room. For once they were so concerned about the kingdom of Israel, and now they're concerned about a lost world, a change of vision takes place. Something different begins to take place. They begin to think differently, see things differently. And Jesus knew that they were not yet fit for service without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes to fit us or to prepare us or to train us to be able to serve 
there's the living God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He comes for that purpose, to truly minister to us. He gives us intellectual power. Intellectual power. If you take one of the things in chapter 1 of Acts, it tells us that these apostles were all from Galilee. Now, Galilee was known for its commercial, for its fishery and its farming. It was not known for its educational level. And yet, Jesus picks all 12 apostles from Galilee. And the Galilean was known the moment they opened their mouth. Remember, the relatives used to come from down south, and folks right away could recognize they're from down south. Yeah. And that southern twine, as we used to call it, and it would be out there. Yeah, they're from down south. You know. Now imagine the same thing happened down south. Yeah, they're from up north. And the Galilean was recognized because he did not speak with the tones that were used for Arabic and for Hebrew and how they translated the normal Greek language among the Jewish people. And yet Jesus picks these 12 men from Galilee. Now it's strange also what we're going to see happen here with Peter. We never really see Peter quoting verses. But in chapter 2, we're going to hear Peter quote from the Old Testament. Peter was not known as being an Old Testament scholar. He was not known as being a Pharisee. He was not known as being a scribe. He was not known as being a lawyer. Peter was known as being a fisherman. And yet, somehow, the Holy Spirit brings back to memory and to mind the scriptures that he wanted Peter to share with a crowd of people. He gives us intellectual power. He gives us the spiritual power. What is the spiritual power? To do right. To do right. It's not always easy to do the right thing. So we need power to do the right thing. Even when it's going to hurt us, we do the right thing. Even when it causes us to deny ourselves, we do the right thing. We do the right thing based on the very fact that it's helpful to others. The Holy Spirit gives us that power. And then he gives us the power of affection, a power to love people we really don't know. Have you ever met people and the people tell you, 
I love you, brother. I love you, sir. You, you don't know nothing about me. But they're saying they love us. That's something of the Holy Spirit. To be able to love people cross-culturally, economical differences, educational differences, philosophical differences, physical differences, that we love one another. That we're really able to just love people. Recognizing this, they are created by God and therefore I love them. Period. And sometimes God has to do that work in us that we truly love people. And then there's a will that I want to do this. I want to do this. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Where there's a willingness, it's acceptable unto God. That God will empower us to do what we want to do for his glory and for his praise. He will empower. Empower to accomplish, and this is again one of those tough areas. And I hope you'll be able to see all these areas as we go through the text today. The power to accomplish God's will. Gus Brown called to be a pastor, but who empowers Gus Brown to stick to it? See, in the flesh, there's a lot of days you want to run away. A lot of days that, boy, Lord, no more. But what empowers that you stick to it? You stay with it in order to accomplish God's will. Accomplishing God's will is not always easy. There can be a lot of bumps in the road. There can be a lot of hindrances. And sometimes you're not seeing it totally clearly and you get lost on the way and you have to find the the right path again. But you're staying with it because you know this is God's will for you in your life and you're not going to miss it and you're not going to disappoint it. Stay with it. You stay with it. You stay with it. And the Holy Spirit gives you the power that's why he tells us, don't grow weary in what? In well-doing. But who gives you the power to keep at it? To stay in it? And to do it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fits us for service. He prepares us for service. Intellectual power, spiritual power, the power of affection, of love and will, and the power to accomplish because in the flesh you can do nothing to glorify God. In the flesh you can do nothing to accomplish God's will. But only in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 14 of chapter 2 of Acts you see something that takes place. 
Peter stands up, but he doesn't stand up alone. He doesn't stand up alone. It says that, yes, though he stands up, he's standing up with 11 others. He stands up with 11 others. And I believe it's more than just the 11. There's well over 3,000 people there. The reason we know it's over 3,000 is 3,000 were saved. And yet, there's only 120 people in the upper room. But this 120 people are going to minister to well over 3,000 people. It's like the apostles again of the feeding of the 5,000. How is that going to happen, Lord? We don't have enough bread. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. And even today in the churches, the first thing we'll say is, we don't have enough of. God has done some amazing things with small amounts. Just a little bit of oil in the jar. And God makes it last. Just a little bit of flour. But that's because she was obedient and fixed the cake for Elijah. She was able to feed herself and her sons and for many more days. God has done many things with just little things that has been quite surprising. How do you just take a few fish and a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people? But it happens. It happened. And here's 120 people. And they're going to minister to well over 3,000 people. And one of the things I think he shows it to us right there in that verse. When he says, then Peter stood up with the eleven. We're not standing up alone no more. You're not standing up all by yourself. But there are fellow believers who stand up with you and we support one another. We help one another. We work with each other for one purpose, to accomplish that which God would have us to accomplish in our personal lives and outside of our lives. We sharpen each other. We correct each other. We rebuke each other. We help each other. And we stand up together for that name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, boy, Peter stood up with the eleven. And he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Can I give you just a little thought of my own now? Peter didn't speak in 13, 14 different languages at one time. But the word says every one of them heard it in their own voice. 
So more than just Peter was speaking, that everyone could hear it in their own voice. That somehow the Holy Spirit is using them to speak to this crowd, to this multitude. And that each one of them could hear the message in their own language. And it was amazing because, again, these were Galileans. These were not individuals who were fluent in different languages or educated in different languages, but somehow the Holy Spirit had taken hold of their life, and he's using them. And you need to trust something. The Holy Spirit wants to take hold of your life to use you to speak to someone. He really does. He wants to use you. He will equip you. He will empower you that you can do it. That we can do it. And he says, boy, the eleven stood up and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Now, look what Peter says, and sometimes you have to be willing to say this to people. And Peter uses it twice here. Peter says, listen. Listen. And he asked the people to listen to him. Sometimes we're talking, but people aren't what? They're not listening. I like old Charles Stanley said, if you're listening, raise your hand. If you're listening, do this. If you're listening, do that. And what he's doing in that instant is just calling the people back to the subject, to what he's talking about. Because it's so easy for us to go off daydreaming. It's so easy for Satan to rob our thoughts and put us somewhere else. It's so easy, yes, to hear somebody talking, but yet not hear what they're saying. And Peter says, listen. Listen. And he's going to say it again in the text. Listen. When I was chaplain at the hospital, we took doctors to a class. Uh, we recognized as we were going to visit patients. A lot of patients would share with us as chaplain. My doctor didn't hear a thing that I said. He came in, he was doing all the talking, but he wasn't listening to me. So Aquin General set up a class for a couple of us as chaplains to teach the doctors how to listen to their patients, to understand the fear of their patients. Yes, they're going through surgery but they don't know what's going to happen with this surgery. Yes, you went in there and you used words and you did this and, and half them words they didn't even understand as you were describing certain things. But to take time and listen to the patient. My daughter one time, she was in the emergency room and they had come in and uh, they have drawn blood and she's in there and she yelling and humming and I finally went in and I said no more and um, I said let's get somebody else in because sometime after working 12 hours or close to 12 hours 
your sensitivity leaves. You're tired. You're touching, but you're not feeling. <laughs> and I, I taught Tyler. After three times, no more. Last time I was in the hospital, as I was getting ready to uh, sign my papers and everything, they said they had to get one more draw of blood. And after 11 sticks, I said, no more, I'm going home. (laughs) I always try to teach myself to drink water at least about a half hour before they draw to help blow up the veins a little bit. But the whole process is simply this here. Being sensitive and being ready to speak. Being ready to speak. And here, these men were ready to to speak. And Peter was ready to explain. And he says, will you listen to me? Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully. Listen carefully that I might explain. How many of us go into church but we really don't listen? How many of you go into church and you don't allow the pastor to explain? How many of us go in with an idea that I'm really going to listen and I'm going to grasp something? Now you're going to listen to two voices, Pastor Brown's and the Holy Spirit. Because I believe the Holy Spirit has something he wants to say to everyone here. I can remember for myself when I was sitting in the congregation part. And Pastor Valentine would be preaching and and sharing something. But when he would get on sometime one verse or something, I might get stuck right there. And that's where I'm at for the rest of the service. And then the Holy Spirit is going at it for a little bit over this one verse or over this little area of the subject that he's talking about and so forth. And Peter says, I want to explain this to you. I want you to listen to me. Because their assumption was wrong. Their assumption of these men were wrong. And they assumed that the men were drunk. And because their assumption was wrong, they made fun of them. They were not taking them seriously. Because of what they assumed was taking place that was not taking place. And therefore, when you look at 2 in verse 13, he said, Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. That was an assumption. That these men were drunk. That something else was wrong with these men. And when you really stand up for Jesus and you live for Jesus, people are going to think something wrong with you. There they go again, talking about Jesus. We can never come around having any fun without them talking about Jesus. Yeah, something wrong with them. 
Yeah, uh, you can take this thing too far. You can become a fanatic. And a lot of people think Christians are fanatic because they've gone too far. And people begin to laugh at you and make fun of you. Because you dress a certain way. Because you give God a certain respect. You're strange. You're different. People, the scripture says we are a peculiar people. Be a peculiar person. Be different. I was listening to Moody the other day, and they were talking about millennials and uh, the X group, the baby boomers. They were talking about all these different groups. One caller had it right. I don't care what you want to put on the label on them. They're people. Period. And we do people like we do sometimes a lot of our children when we put a label on them that they're hyper. They're this. They're that. And people begin to live out what their label is rather than recognizing that there are human beings. They have been created by God. And they can be what God desires them to be. Not what man calls them. Not what we say they are. Not the label we put on them. And he says, we're not drunk. We're not drunk. I want you to hear me and give me a chance to explain what takes place. And somehow Peter then goes into the book of Joel. He goes into the book of Joel. And it is something that Peter now is going to explain to them, but he's going to use scripture to explain it. And the whole process is again. They think he's drunk. He's not drunk. And he says, listen to me. And off into the book of Job, we're going to go. And he says, boy, uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. What you see here is not drunken men, but men who have been filled now with the spirit of God. And Peter quotes that. And he shares with them. And he wants them to hear him. Now go into verse 22 with me. And we're not going to do all Joel. But go into verse 22 with me. Chapter 2. Look what Peter says again. Men of Israel, listen to this. Again, he's saying, listen. Listen. And then he speaks about David. And he quotes David twice. Where is that coming from? I don't think it's coming from Peter per se. It's coming from the Holy Spirit 
who will bring back to your remembrance what you have either read, studied, or put in, and therefore we do exactly what Timothy tells us to do, to study, to show ourselves approved, a workman who rightly divides the Word of God, that when we study that Word, we're not memorizing it all. Yes, we have our little favorite passages that we memorize, but if you're in the Word, God the Holy Spirit will bring it back depending on who you talk to. Wednesday night, I was hearing the conversation around the table, and after everybody gave their little comment, I said, wrong, 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 wrong. (laughs) Where we start at in witnessing with a person, and there's nothing wrong with starting with the Roman road. There's nothing wrong with starting with John 3.16. There's nothing wrong starting sharing scripture with somebody. But the most important thing that you want to do is start where the Holy Spirit knows what that person needs to hear. It's to start where the Holy Spirit knows that person needs to hear. And oftentimes, we're so quick on the draw, like some folks say, we're just trying to put another notch on our gun and say that, boy, we won another soul. When we don't win souls, God really does it. Yes, wise is the person who goes out seeking to win souls, but the one who really does it is the Lord. We're just the witnesses. We're just sharing what's happened to us. And if God can save me, he can save you. If God can do this in my life, he can do it in your life. That's all we're giving real testimony to. But the one who really does the witnessing is the Holy Spirit in us as we yield to him. That he gives us the words that he wants us to say. And there's nothing wrong with memorizing the Roman road. There's nothing wrong with having a track and memorize what that track says and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't dismiss the Holy Spirit leading you in your witnessing to someone. And you may start in a place that you're asking yourself, why am I saying that? And I've had people ask me, how did you know that? I don't know. (laughs) And the thing is simply this here. You start as the Holy Spirit leads. And sometimes when I'm flying and I'm traveling and I'm with people, I'm saying, Lord, where's the opening at? Lord, who? Lord, what am I to say? And on the way down, to uh, my son's house. I'm on the plane, and well, I wasn't going to say nothing, so I got my earphones on, and I'm listening to my music, and I'm just a singing. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And my wife hit me. Quiet down, quiet down, you know. And, and, and I didn't know other people were listening, you know, and so forth, and she would hit and so forth, but I'm just off in my own little zone, you might say. Man. And then on the way back up, I put them back on again. She wasn't with me, and a young girl 
from Cleveland was next to me and another young girl and I put them on and I start singing and they could see me. The girl starts singing. See, she had told her, leave my music alone. <laughs> See? And, but the whole process, God may use different ways for you to witness. But he's called you to witness. And Peter is going to give witness as he speaks of Joel and he speaks of what David says. But he says to him, listen, listen. And sometimes you have to stop people and just say to them, listen to me while I explain this. Listen while I explain this. Now, with that whole process, I have to ask this question. Was this Peter the normal Peter? Is this how we see Peter acting over in the Gospels? Or do we see a different Peter? And I want to suggest to you, we're seeing a different Peter at this time. Go with me to John chapter 14. John 14. Because I think this is what is taking place. And each one of us have to make the decision of what takes place here in John 14 and verse 26. You're the one that has to decide who's going to be your counselor, who's going to be your guide, who's going to be the one who puts the thoughts in your life, in your mind, to speak to someone else. Who is going to do that? And he simply says in that verse 26, all this I have, I'm sorry, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Everything, whether it be Old Testament, New Testament, the Holy Spirit is going to bring it back to you that you can share it. One of my prayers have been in the last, say, eight, nine months, Lord, as I have my devotions, Make me as that living water that you said to the woman that if she drank of, she will thirst no more. And Lord, make my life in such a way that when the Holy Spirit puts his bucket down, there is some water that he can bring up. And as I witness to people or share with people, that they're drinking living water that will cause them to thirst no more. Put it in me, Lord, that I might be that living water that flows out and give life to others. Put it in me, Lord. And again, Peter asked him, listen, listen, why? You lose your audience. You can lose the attention of people. You can lose where people somehow just get caught up looking at somebody else, doing this, looking at that, looking up this way. And, and when the eyes get heavy, 
Boy, it's not hard to go to sleep in church because you got Satan saying, rock a baby on the tree. And you got to say, listen, listen. Next thing that why Peter wanted them to listen, boy, when you go back up into verse 22, listen to what Peter's going to say here. Peter says, men of Israel, men of Israel, and, and I think here now, Peter distinguishes the Jewish group. Those that are specifically there in Israel from those who have traveled from outside of Israel. The first group he's saying to all of them, listen. But the second, listen, Israel. Israel. Listen. Listen. And the reason I say that is because the information that Peter's going to share with them that they know of, but somebody outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, may not know it. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited or approved. He was approved by God through arguments and signs, through miracles and wonders, that God set him forth and allowed him to reveal himself by the things that he did. And he was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. Jesus wasn't going through this all by himself. Who else was there? The Father was there. Who else was there? The Holy Spirit was there. You never separate in a sense the triune God, for when you have one, you have the others. And he goes on, and he shares a little bit more. Which God did among you through him, as you yourself, now here comes the fun, you yourself know. You've heard about this Jesus. You know certain things about Jesus. Those of you here in Jerusalem, those of you here in Israel. Now, those outside may not know, but you here, you know. You know. You're aware of it. And he goes on and he says, this man was handed over to you by God. God's Set purpose. God had planned the death of Jesus Christ before the foundations of this world was ever laid. And Jesus, when he came, he knew that he came to die for us. That did not take him by surprise. Yes, we see the man in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but what? Your will be done. We see the weakness, we see the strength. Not my will, but your will be done. And sometime for us, we got to come back to say that same thing. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Not my will, 
but your will be done. And when you allow God to work his will through you, other people will see you. Other people will see you. And God is glorified as he is able to work through you and you allow yourself to be seen by others what God is doing in and through you. It's God's purpose. It's God's plan. That's foreknowledge, the plan that God has already laid out. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. Now he said, you know this. You're not ignorant of it. And what is Peter doing? And this is a boldness for Peter. Peter says, look, you guys put him to death. You know you did. That's, that's some boldness. That's some stepping out there. And who empowers Peter to do that? Peter. This is not the same man who followed Jesus to the high priest home at a distance. This is not the same man who denied Christ three times. This is a different man because of the Holy Spirit. And you and I will be different people not because we've decided to be good. Not because we've decided to change. Not because we're going to pick up some new habits and do this for so many weeks and now I got a new habit. We change only through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Period. We change only through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life with our desire to be more like Christ. That is something of your own will. Do you really desire to be like Christ? Now, none of us in the flesh is going to reach the totality of being like Christ. So when Scripture tells us to be holy as God is holy, oh, that's just not going to happen per se completely. But we're on the path towards that. We're pushing towards that. We're running after that. We desire that. But when I see Christ face to face, I will be completed, for I shall be like him when I see him face to face. But in the meantime, I am running towards that. I'm running away from my old self to the new self that's in Christ Jesus. I'm putting off the old and clothing myself in the new. He said, you had help from wicked men who put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You know these things. You know what you did. But look where he says what God did. You can take one of these and you can say, this is what man did. But this is now what 
God did. So in verse 24 says, but God raised him from the dead. If you ever want to do a good study for yourself, get yourself a good pen out and paper and, and study the word but and look at what changes every time the word but comes into the picture. But God. But God. But God. And, and, and when that but is there and God is there, look for that change that takes place. And it says, but God, you meant one thing. You meant to put him to death. But God, and God raised him up. God raised him up. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes David again. But he says, you know, Some of you know you are not saved. Some of you know you never accepted Christ to come into your life. Some of you have taught yourself to be religious people. To do good things. Good people are going to be separated from God. Good people are going to be in hell. There's only one name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. No other way. And that name is Jesus. Jesus. No other way. Only going to be saved through that precious name of Jesus. For there's no other name given by God in which men and women and children have to be saved. The name of Jesus. And then as you go on down through, and I'm going to pick back up in verse 20 and verse 36. I want you to hear Peter again. After he's done quoting David again, listen to what Peter says. Therefore let all Israel be assured Let our Israel be safe. Let our Israel have the certainty or security of this, of what I'm going to say here. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's made him both master and the anointed one. God did that. Made him master and the anointed one. It's strange when you look at the word Lord here too because we says Lord is Jehovah. Rogers says Elohim. Another one says Yahweh. All Greek scholars. But yet, one thing they can't get away from, master. That God has made him master 
and the anointed one, Christ. Something God has did, not man. Something God has did. And he goes on here and he hears this. When he says this, and I want you to recognize now, he's speaking to Jewish people. Not those who would readily accept the Lord Jesus Christ. But what comes from the mouth of the people? At least some of them. And I want you to recognize, when you witness, you're not going to win everyone. When I preach to a host of people, I understand everybody out there is not going to accept what I say and everybody's not going to believe what I say. Everybody's not going to respond to what I say. But in verse 37 it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, those others were involved. I believe the whole 120 were somehow involved in this ministry to this large crowd. And it says, boy, they asked this question. And it's the same question that Paul asked on the Damascus Road. Lord, what would you have me to do? And they come back to that same question. And the issue is this here. Boy, what would you have us to do? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do? And from that response, Peter responds. And Peter, when he responds, he tells them, in a sense, what they were to do. Now, they have to make a decision. Will they do it or not? Will they do it or not? And the question is, will you do it or not? And that's the only choice we really have. Do we do it or don't do it? Do we obey or do we be disobedient? We don't make the rules. We don't set the scenes. Our thing is that we're responding from the position of, will I do it or not do it? Peter replied, Repent. Repent. And be baptized. Now, some people take this word, repent and be baptized, as though you are saved right there, but there's something else in between there also. But he's already explained it. Jesus Christ, he's Lord. Hmm. Baptism doesn't save us. Baptism simply says, I'm dying to myself, and I'm alive to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be obedient to Christ. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. I'm going to follow after the Lord. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And for Jews, that's why sometimes our apostolic brothers will say, boy, it's only in the name of Jesus. Well, in Matthew 28 is in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here it's important just in the name of Jesus because these are Jews that he's speaking to. 
in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus was looked upon as a rebel. Jesus was someone who looked upon against Judaism. In the name of Jesus. Now, he goes a little further and he says, For the forgiveness of your sins. Here is plural. For the forgiveness of your sins, the forgiveness of your unbelief, the forgiveness of whatever wrong actions you have done. That if you do this, God takes your sins and put them in the deepest ocean to remember them no more. God takes our sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. God will not bring them back up to you and say, remember what you did? The accuser does that. But when God forgives you, and this is the part that we don't understand about forgiveness, when God forgives you of something, you are set free. And if you choose to do it again, you do it again. And that's why we hear Jesus says, There's no certain number of times you can be forgiven. Seven times seven goes on and on and on. But you keep asking until you catch it. Lord, forgive me. And you understand the wrongness. And you understand the correctness. And you then begin to live in the correctness that God reveals to you rather than in the sinful ways in which you have lived. And he says, Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. You will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you will know that you are his. For you have not the Spirit of God, you're none of his. But if you have the Spirit of God, you have been adopted by God. And the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are his child. Closing out with verse 40. And I want you to hear really what Peter is saying now. Because Peter goes to his place where he's going to say to the people, in a sense, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. God has laid it out before you. You can repent or you can choose not to repent. You can choose to believe or you can choose not to believe. It's all laid out. The facts are there. 
And then the whole process. There will be those who will what? Accept. And there will be those who will reject. There will be those who say yes and those who will say no. And the issue is, you got to make that decision whether you're going to believe on Jesus Christ as the one who forgives you of your sin and the one who has tasted death for you. You have to come to that place to make that decision. Nobody else. But look at 40 as we close. Because I think he talks to a different group of people here now. The one group has asked him, what shall we do? And that may have been the 3,000. And they repented. But there's still more there that have not yet, what? Repented or given themselves to the Lord. With many other words, and we don't have those words, other than that, Peter didn't stop there. Peter didn't stop because he heard people say, well, what would you have me to do? Peter didn't stop there. Peter goes on and Peter says, I warn you. And I think that's a different group of the crowd now. I warn you. And he pleaded with them. He warns them. He pleads with them. Why? He knows the terror of the Lord. He knows personally himself what it is to really be saved. He knows what it is to one time to be living without Christ and now living with Christ. He knows what it is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I warn you, I warn you, I plead with you. Save yourself. Save yourself from the corrupt generation. And the only way you can do that is by receiving Christ and following him. If you decide to follow the corrupt society, corrupt culture, corrupt ways in which the world does things, then you bring damnation onto yourself. And he says, I warn you, I plead with you. And I Again, believe this is a different group of the crowd that is there. From this corrupt generation. And then 41, he finalizes. Those who accept his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. About 3,000 were added to that 120 that was there in that upper room. 3,000 were added to the kingdom of God. We don't know how many were added 
in Ethiopian by the Ethiopian eunuch going back. We don't know how many may have accepted the Lord by him witnessing and sharing what happened to him. Uh, We don't know how many others were saved in between this time. But on this particular time with Peter, we understand and we do know 3,000 were added to the church. 3,000 were added to the kingdom. But yet, more than 3,000 heard the gospel. More than 3,000 heard. And Peter pleads with them. Because somebody in your family don't take heed to you the first time, don't stop telling them. Keep telling them. Because the neighbor don't listen to you the first, second, third time, don't stop telling them. Don't stop showing them the love of Christ. Keep at it. Because that co-worker who sits across from you think you're a fanatic and you're overboard, don't stop living for Christ to try to adjust to please them. You keep at it. You keep praying for them. You keep pleading for them. You keep inviting them. You keep asking them. Yes, the person who cussed you out for witnessing or sharing about Jesus, don't write them off. Stay at it. Stay at it. Understand this. People don't change on a dime. We was having Bible study in my house at first, and I was coming in from work, and I said, boy, when I get home, I'm going to take my baseball bat, and every one of these folks is leaving. (laughs) You stay at it. You stay at it. Somebody stayed at it for Gus Brown. Some people kept praying. Some people kept witnessing. You stay at it. And you see Peter doing that. I warn you. I plead with you. And again, I suggest to you, that may have been a different group than just the 3,000 that said, what do I need to do? Because that group he no longer needed to plead with. That group he no longer needed Because they're ready to surrender, he just had to show them how. And to the others that did not, listen to me as I plead with you. Listen to me as I warn you about this corrupt generation. And a lot of our young people, a lot of people are getting caught up today with our corrupt what? generation we're smoking we're having free sex we're doing everything out here in this corrupt generation and Peter is saying I warned you I warned you and I want to share with you I warn you not to live your life, but live the life that God has called you to. Father, 
Thank you for your loving kindness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us from day to day and watching over us. And Lord, would you draw us closer to thee? Those who have called upon the name of Jesus, would you draw us closer? And for those, Lord, who have not yet made that decision or called upon the name of Jesus to save them, Lord, would you hasten that day?